Would you look with me at Acts chapter 9? Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read quite a long passage of Scripture to you today. So I hope that you'll follow along with your Bible or on the screen. Looking at the conversion of Saul. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that, he may, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and... And was strengthened. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And we all love to hear good testimony, don't we? It's, it's just good to, to hear that real-life story of what Jesus has done in a person's life. It's oftentimes the life before Jesus and the life after Jesus. And that kind of testimony can encourage us. It can inspire us. Three times Paul's story is told for us 
in the book of Acts. Here in chapter 9, it's told to us by Luke. It's more of a narration simply of what happened on that Damascus road. In chapter 22 of Acts and chapter 26 of Acts, it's more in the form of a testimony where Paul shares his story of what life was like from his perspective before Jesus and what was life like after Jesus. And he gives us some insight, too, into that that point of conversion. For a few moments, I'd like for us simply to take a closer look at Paul's journey of faith. First of all, I want us to see his life before Jesus, which in Paul's case wasn't very pretty. He was a murderer of Christians. He was breathing threats and murder against the disciples, the text says. Now, you've heard of or seen someone who is consumed with a particular thing. What is it do we say about that person? We say they're eating and drinking and breathing whatever it is they're consumed with. I have a friend who is a Chicago Cubs baseball fan. And I have to tell you, he can be an obnoxious Cubs fan. I play basketball with him in the mornings, and oftentimes I have to listen to what he has to say. It's like he has Cub fever, and he cannot keep his mouth quiet. And it can be annoying to a Cardinals fan. Uh, You would think from his confidence that he is displaying day after day, that the Cubs have won the World Series for the last 20 years in a row. (laughs) But they haven't. And in fact, it's been since 1908 since they won the World Series, more than 100 years ago. But he is confident. And this year, maybe he's got good reason to be confident. But I will tell you, he is breathing Cubs Baseball, he's consumed with them. My son Jonathan, as he was growing up in our home, he was eating and drinking and breathing Star Wars. We recorded the Star Wars movies on those old videotapes, and he wore those tapes out. If there was a a Star Wars t-shirt around, he was wearing it. If there was a Star Wars figurine, he wanted to have it. If there was a Star Wars book, he was buying it and he was reading it. If there were Star Star Wars posters, he had them up in his room. If there was Star Wars cereal, he was eating it. He even brought a dog home one day uh, as he was coming home from work. And he rescued that dog and he named it Padme, which is a, a Princess Padme from the Star Wars movies. And he hadn't had that dog, I bet, just a few weeks. And then he left for college and I was stuck with the dog. <laughs> Thirteen years later, I'm still stuck with the dog. He was... Eating, drinking, and breathing Star Wars. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says Saul was breathing threats and murder against Christians. In other words, he was consumed with killing Christians. This was his mission in life. And he had become quite known 
for this. The interesting point here is that he thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. He, in fact, was doing this in the name of God. He was a devout Jew. And he, these Christians were leaving Judaism, and so he was deciding that it was his duty, it was his ministry, he was doing God a favor by killing these Christians. Either he was going to bring them back to Jehovah God, or he was going to kill them. And it's pretty good evidence that you can be sincere about something, but you can be sincerely wrong. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul refers to himself as the foremost of all sinners. The New International Version says it this way, that he was the worst of all sinners. The King James Version says that he was the chief of sinners. This guy had a track record that was pretty consistent. He was good at sinning. And yet the good news is, Jesus loved him. And Jesus pursued him to become one of his. Does that make you feel good? It makes me feel good. I mentioned to you last week how Simon, the magician, was saved by the grace of God. And I said to you, if Simon the magician can be saved, then anybody can be saved. And the same thing could be said of Saul of Tarsus. If Saul could be loved by God and saved from his sins, then God's going to love anybody and he can save anybody. Nobody is too far gone in their sin that God's grace can't reach down and pick them up and and save their life and put their life in order. Saul's proof of that. Saul's life before Jesus was filled with darkness, filled with ignorance, Filled with murder. His life was filled with blasphemy. But God never, ever gave up on him. In fact, God had a plan for Saul to become a special servant of his. We could say it this way. God pursued Saul. I hope that does your heart good. Just as it does my heart good. To know that God pursues sinners. I was reading a passage of Scripture from 1 Timothy recently. Actually, the very next verse, after Paul talks about being the worst of sinners, verse 16, Paul mentions God's unlimited patience. Let me read that verse to you. Verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says this, But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. I love that phrase, unlimited patience. I want you to think about that for just a moment. The fact that the God of this universe has unlimited patience towards sinners. In fact, 
I, I would have to say to you, just over the last few weeks, that phrase has become one of my favorite verses or one of my favorite phrases describing the character of God. The fact that He has unlimited patience towards each and every one of us. Psalms 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. Now David in that verse doesn't use the word patient, but he does say that God is slow to anger, for which I'm glad for that fact. He is long-suffering. He is able to endure a lot without coming to a point where He gives up on us. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, does use the word patient in reference to God. He says this, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I'm thankful that God is patient towards us, aren't you? Aren't you? Yeah, you, you ought to... Jump out of your seat with that question. Are you glad that God is patient towards you? Yeah. Amen. He has unlimited patience towards us. I want to encourage you to think about where you have come from. What your story is. Who you were and what your life was like before Jesus. Now, for most of us, our story is going to be very different than Paul's story. And yet, in some ways, our stories are very similar. You say, how's that? Well, just the fact that we were lost in our sin before Jesus. The fact that we were without hope before Jesus. The fact that we were wandering that we were searching, that we were dead in our sins, that to know that our goodness is not enough to save us. We needed a Damascus Road experience. In other words, we needed a Savior to pursue us, and thankfully, He did. He searched us out, and He found us. Now, that leads me to the second point in Paul's journey of faith. That is, he was converted to Jesus. And we read his conversion account just a few minutes ago. He was on the road to Damascus, and he saw a light that was brighter than the midday sun. And that light was Jesus. And that light spoke to him. And told him to go into the city and wait to be told what to do. And he did. He went into the city and he waited for three days. He was blind during those three days. And during that time, he neither ate nor drank. He fasted. He was praying. And at the same time, God, on the other hand, is pursuing another man whose name is Ananias. He's pursuing Ananias to be a messenger of his to Saul. And that scared Ananias. Saul's reputation preceded him. He said to God, I I know who this guy is. I know what he's done. He likes to kill Christians. And you want me to go and talk to him? 
God never asks us to do something that He won't be there with us and for us. And He will give to us the strength that we need to get the job done. Ananias was just an ordinary Joe. And God calls Ananias to go to Saul and share the good news with him. Ananias wasn't a trained person. He he didn't have... uh, School of Prophecy under his belt. He's just an ordinary person. And God called him to go and bring the good news to Saul. And what did Ananias do? He went. And he was very direct to Saul. Let me read to you what he had to say to Saul. Chapter 22 of Acts. Verses 13 through 16. Chapter 22, beginning with verse 13. He came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now, I wonder, have you noticed... In all of these conversion accounts in Acts that we've been looking at, that baptism was a part of God's plan. I I hope that you have not missed that point. In Acts chapter 2, the people on Pentecost Day, they were commanded to repent and to be baptized. And 3,000 of them obeyed the message that day. Acts chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, the people in Samaria were believing, it says, and they were being baptized. Even Simon the magician believed and was baptized, the text says. Chapter 8 of Acts also, the Ethiopian eunuch, Ian, preached on that just a couple of weeks ago. At, at, in that chapter, the, the, the eunuch has, has received the message of Jesus from Philip, and he says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38 of that chapter, Philip says that he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And now here we are in chapter 9. Saul is being told to be baptized. It is a pattern that is Running through the book of Acts, Cornelius in in chapter 10 was baptized. Lydia in chapter 16 was baptized. The Philippian jailer later in chapter 16 was baptized. This was a part of God's plan. Now, I will tell you, it's not the only plan of God. It's just a part of God's plan. Baptism without repentance is a zero. Baptism without belief in Jesus is a zero. All of these things together are necessary in following the plan of God. 
And I'm thinking, I'm wondering, are there some folks here today who need to have the same question asked of them that was asked of Saul of Tarsus as Ananias came to him and said to him very directly, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Are there some folks here today that need that question asked of them? Notice there's no asterisk put on this command that says, oh, you know, you you really don't have to do this if you don't feel like it. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to do it. If you're past the age of 60, you don't have to do this. If you're afraid of water, you don't have to do this. If you're bashful, you don't have to do this. No, it's a part of God's plan. And we simply need to do it. We need to obey the Lord in doing that. I was so appreciative of Kathy Powell, who was baptized just uh, about three weeks ago. I think three Sundays ago she was baptized. And she had told me, as we had talked about that, that she was deathly afraid of water. And I, I said, why, why are you afraid of water? You know, tell have you had some experience uh, in your younger life that has led to you having a fear of water? And she said, yes, at four years old, I nearly drowned. They had to resuscitate her and bring her back. And she said, ever since, she, she can't even stand for water in her face as she's taking a shower. And yet, when she came to the understanding that God's plan for her involves immersion baptism, I was so appreciative to her as she said, yes, that's, that's what I'll do. And she didn't, she didn't even hesitate. And it was a wonderful day for her. She trusted that God would get her through, and she trusted, too, that her son-in-law, Kevin Addington, wouldn't hold her down too long. (laughs) Gage, her grandson, was there to help bring her up. It was a wonderful day. Saul heard the message from Ananias, and he obeyed in being baptized. Now, That brings me then to the third point of Saul's spiritual journey, and that is his converted life. He changed. He went from killing Christians to becoming one himself. He went from killing Christians to preaching Christ and trying to help other people become Christians. And verse 21 says, those hearing him continued to be amazed. After one comes to Jesus, their life needs to change. I want to ask you, has your life changed since your conversion? And is it continuing to change? Over the next three or four Sundays that I preach, I'm going to recruit some people. In fact, I've already talked to three uh, but I'm, I'm going to recruit some folks to give 
a testimony, to come up here and take uh, uh, four minutes or so out of my sermon time and give to you their testimony of what life was like before Christ and what life has become after Christ. And I'm excited about hearing those testimonies. And, and it's not like we ha- any of us have to have this dramatic story where our, our past is so full of, of murder and blasphemy and, and immorality and drugs and alcohol. That's not necessarily the kind of testimony that I'm looking for, although there are some who do have that kind of testimony. But I'm, I'm simply looking for a testimony of one who will say, you know, before Christ, I had no direction. I had no mission. I had no purpose in my life. Maybe, maybe before Christ, I was living for myself. I was full of greed and envy. Maybe someone would say, before Christ, I was bitter. I was, I was angry towards this person. But after Christ... Since Jesus has come into my life, things have changed. I'm, I'm anxious to hear some of those testimonies. I think our church will be encouraged by them. We need to be ready to give our testimony. You say, what? Yeah, you need to be ready to give your testimony to the world. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. Do you have a hope that is within you? Then be ready and willing to share that testimony with the world. There are people who need to hear your story. You need to tell your story. Paul's whole life changed after he met Jesus on that Damascus road. I was, I was trying to think of some verses that might depict what Paul's life was like after that Damascus road experience. And here are the verses that I came up with. You give full attention to what he's saying. Philippians one twenty one. he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about that. Let those words sink into your mind and heart. Can you say that? For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul's life changed dramatically. Let me read to you from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Here's an, this is another passage that depicts the kind of life that Paul had after his conversion on that Damascus road. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, he says, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my 
own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Him, with Himself, depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Do you understand what he's saying in that passage? He's been talking in chapter 3. He's, he's listing the things that he had going for him according to the flesh. He said, I was born into a Jewish family. I am a true blue Jew. And my heritage is, is I mean, it's unmarred. It's, it's everything that a Jew would want it to be. I've had the best teaching from Gamaliel. I've been a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I know the law of Moses. And yet, he says, I count all of that as loss because I realize my righteousness in and of itself, the, my inability to obey the law, I can't put my trust in that. I need to put my trust in Jesus Christ, the one who died for me and has saved me. And the one thing that I want more than anything else, he says right now, is to know him. Everything else is garbage. I mean, this guy dramatically changed. After his conversion, let me read to you Colossians chapter one, verses 28 and 29. He says, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul's focus was singular He was a converted man. So converted that the Jews began to try and kill him. All of a sudden, the hunter became the hunted. Verse 25 says, His disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. The one who was persecuting others was now being persecuted. His life truly was a changed life. And so as we close this morning, let me simply ask you these questions. Will you let Jesus change you? Will you be converted? And will you share your testimony with others? There are people who are needing to hear your testimony. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, who converted to Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that so many here today have given their life to Jesus. May we be living that converted life. May we be sharing our testimony. And Lord, if there is even one here today that has not surrendered to Christ, 
could I say to them through the power of the Holy Spirit, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And we pray this in Jesus' name.